We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Player and team development, we expect or hope for. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. And really, today we're going to be doing uh, kind of a, a re or not a redraft projection forward to what we think the 2022 first round of drafts will look like. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretch. You can find me, my Stealing Signals Substack at bengretch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. And yeah, Sean, we were going to talk through sort of not necessarily rest of season value, but the guys that we think are going to finish the season well enough and then progress in a way that they will be 2022 first round picks for redraft. And then also what that means kind of for current dynasty value. And this should be a lot of fun, Ben. I, we did one of these before the season kind of projecting all the way to 2022. Now we can kind of compare and contrast this a little bit. One of the things that I like about this is that it gives us a window into several different things. We were having some discussions with our buddies, Patrick Crane, Michael Leone, about dynasty values on some of the rookies from this class. Obviously, there are a handful of rookies playing extremely well. One of the things that we know is that there are going to be some relationships between the redraft values, the dynasty values, and there are different windows at the different positions, and there is a different amount of depth at some of the different positions. One of the reasons why Kyle Pitts is so uh, such a phenomenon is because that position is so difficult to fill with huge points, which it looks like he might do. And so both from a redraft and from a dynasty perspective, you know that element of it is interesting. And so we'll go through some of those things. Uh, ben, for the purpose of this exercise, why don't we use the FFPC format where we do have tight end premium and really give those tight ends a chance to get up into this first round. We know that Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller were taken in the first round this year. And I think that our first question then 
is at the 101, and it's been very clear kind of what that pick should be the last several seasons. And then Christian McCaffrey gets hurt again. And the original injury was frustrating enough, but now this kind of, I don't even know if he had a relapse or, you know, a setback in his recovery, but he's going to miss the vast majority of the season that most of his managers would have needed to make the playoffs at the same time when we again look at kind of this breakdown of rush EP, receive EP, ability to beat that, ability to score in that high 20-point range. We have, you know, Derrick Henry, who is a, a run-oriented back and is uh, just has a rush EP absolutely through the roof and then is crushing that in terms of points over expectation. We've been saying for a while that there are reasons to believe that that is not sustainable and yet at the same time because he's both explosive and hasn't gotten injured he has done it fairly consistently the other back that we have there is Najee Harris the only back who is in double digits in both categories now Alvin Kamara made a big push this past week with the 10 receptions on 11 targets and actually may get a little bit of a boost going forward with Ingram there now to take some of the low value touches this was almost a trade where it seemed like you know they looked back at last week and like yes we have to pass the ball to Kamara, not give him handoffs. We want to set the offense up. And yeah, it was coming out of the bye as well. Like, why was that so hard to figure out? But they, I, I see the same thing as like, okay, coming out of the bye, that was a clear goal. At the same time, uh, I did note in signals that back in 2019, they played a game in Seattle. Kamara had a similar line. I think he had 10 targets, nine receptions, 90 something yards. And so part of me is at least a little bit concerned that it's something with Seattle's defense. We know that, you know, they kind of do the three high and all this stuff where they're just like, okay, we can just throw a Camara constantly. I'm, I'm really hopeful though, to, to your point that, that that's going to be positive going forward, coming out of the bye, it's something that they realized, but like, I don't know how they didn't realize that prior. Right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens here at some point. You think Michael Thomas will probably come back uh, at some point, maybe Traquan Smith, they were pumping him up during the off season. A lot of puff pieces, the big sort of visual from last week is the sideline kerfuffle that uh, Wins and Smith got into where they didn't seem super happy with each other. But this is going to be a Camara offense. Next year, we're going to have guys like Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook. They're going to be yet another year older. Any kind of lack of efficiency that we see down the stretch is going to get factored into ADPs, at least to an extent. Uh, but at some point, Christian McCaffrey, a little bit like what we see with Saquon Barkley. Now, Barkley was actually injured at the time, which was one of the things. You know, he's not 100%. They're going to work him in the first couple of weeks. I mean, that hits his ADP, not just, you know, what might have happened in the offseason or what might have happened last year. But are we going to get to the point where Christian McCaffrey is not the 101 with all of these injuries? I mean, how much does he have to do in the last month to get right back to the top next year? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question. I think people are going to feel snake bitten after two years of injuries. And there's a lot of guys that we haven't even mentioned. I mean, obviously anyone at any other position, but uh, it is sort of notable to think of the, the players that we're not even considering sort of in this group or talking about. And I'm with you. Like, I don't think Ezekiel Elliott is going to be there. Uh, Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler is another one that, like, look, he's been amazing this year, but it's really hard to see him be a top five pick next year just based on, you know, whatever they might do in the offseason and and just sort of how he's been used overall. Well, then he's at 15 and a half EP again, which is kind of the area that he'll sit in. Now he's at six points over. And one of the things with efficiency is that 
we do see guys like Eckler and Kamara and Henry put up some pretty big fantasy points over expectation, definitely in individual games, even in individual seasons and in multiple seasons. But, you know, when you're counting on a guy who's at 15 EP to have this monster over expectation to get you into that top five, you know, it does get a little tricky for the reasons that you're mentioning where really anything that goes wrong and then you're talking about a ceiling that's more in the round two, maybe even round three range. Yep. And then a couple others, uh, I don't think you mentioned Aaron Jones or Nick Chubb. Both are, are you know, going to be interesting names certainly to monitor, but they're not guys to me either that look like top five picks into the future. One I don't think you said that may be a top five pick is DeAndre Swift, who's another one that I think you, you'll have right there. You had when we did this exercise in the preseason as a top five pick next year, that looks to have been very prescient. Um, I I think it's McCaffrey one-on-one again. Like I think I if I get the one-on-ones, I'll be wanting to take him. I think if I get the one-on-twos, the one-on-threes, I will also want to take him. <laughs> if somebody doesn't take McCaffrey one-on-one, I'll think that that's a great opportunity for me to have a lot of exposure to Christian McCaffrey more than, than just however many one-on-ones I draw. And people who followed all our drafts this offseason know that I was sort of hunting for a Christian McCaffrey share in high stakes. Just we were we were running back draft after draft after draft. And then uh, you and Blair wound up getting one the day. Like, I think we drafted in the 10 o'clock slot three days in a row. And then you had one with Blair already scheduled the next day. And when you got that draft order, you hit the one-on-one. All of ours were the, the last four picks of the first round. It's basically where all of my teams were this year. And you know, the way things work out, that's the only team I have that is not currently in great shape. Right. I was going to say, but I, you know, as, as much as I was hoping and hoping and hoping to get some Christian McCaffrey, turns out to have been somewhat fortunate. At the same time next year, if I can get him at 102 and 103 in some spots, it's, for me, it's just going to be a year where like, yes, I get to have 20% of Christian McCaffrey. I will, I'll play the injury game. I mean, I, injuries are, are concerning. And maybe I'm a, I have a, a tendency and it's maybe one of my leaks to, to lean into injury risk a little bit too much at times, but it can really pay off. I mean, I think that was a big reason. That the, basically, the only reason Debo Samuel was so affordable all offseason, if you really look at his per-game numbers and his per-game efficiency coming into this year, they were phenomenal. And that's a reason we loved him so much and have him everywhere. Some of the times that you lean into that, you can that's where you can find league winners, essentially, because they're really good players that people are just not buying into. Oh, the year before. Uh, 2020, we had Will Fuller in sort of the same boat. Everyone said he's constantly hurt. And then he ends up getting suspended. We didn't get 16 games out of him anyway, but was an absolute smash up until that point. I, I have had certainly um, some regrets from leaning into injury risk, but also some success. And a lot of times those successes wind up being some legitimate league winner types. It's really easy to remember the guys that you thought had injury risk. You still took the plunge and then they got hurt. The people who took George Kittle or, or whoever this year are feeling that. But there are times that you lean into that and uh, the guy actually stays healthy. And I don't know if we, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big injury prone guy and I'm willing to kind of take on that risk, especially for a guy like McCaffrey, who has demonstrated every time he's been healthy to be just absolutely elite. Yeah. So I'm going to have McCaffrey at the 101 as well. I think he can do what Marshall Falk did put up multiple seasons in that 27, 28, 29 point per game range, even with what Henry is doing right now. And we mentioned on OT a couple of weeks ago that we do think a lot of what he's doing is for real. And, you know, there's no criticism of his fantastic season this year, but McCaffrey is, is still going to be different. He's going to gap the field in a way that nobody else really projects to do over 17 weeks. And so, 
he would be the one-on-one. And then Ben, you mentioned we could consider some other positions. And I have to say that the 102 is a spot where I'm already considering Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so part of the reason we got into this was um, I, I just really wanted to emphasize personally how good Pitts and Chase have already been because I've kind of heard some discussion. I mean, obviously, everybody is extremely excited. They're sort of untouchable in Dynasty right now. But I've heard some sort of like pump the brakes type stuff a little bit. Not not a lot, but just a little. I mean, Kyle Pitts, I, I went to the Rotovis screener, looked up the best rookie tight end seasons. And we know rookie tight ends traditionally have not had great seasons. The best season since 2000. Kyle Pitts has played six games. They already had a bye. He's currently tied for 13th in six games uh, since 2000 of the 13th best rookie tight end yardage season. He's about 130 yards away from the top five. So there's a very real shot. And potentially it's this week, but very real shot. I mean, I don't know that he's going to just keep hitting 100-yard weeks going forward constantly, but very real shot that by midseason he is uh, in the top five, potentially in the top two, potentially, you know, by game 10, he's already the rookie tight end yardage record holder. And as you – Think about that. And as you progress that forward, look, he just turned 21 this month. And as you continue to progress that forward, by the end of this season, people are going to look back at season lines like they always do. And my point is sort of he's already banked so much yardage. He can have a a significant drop off right now. One of the most interesting stats I saw this week is after his big 160 yard game. I mean, look, Pitt's first four games, not necessarily great. He has the good fifth game. They go on a bye, and he's basically okay. One out of five games have been really strong. But he came back and had that 160-yard game. It was more than 50% of his yardage in the first five games. He's now leading the NFL in uh, leading NFL tight ends in receiving yards per game. He's just ahead of Travis Kelsey right now. I don't think he's necessarily going to sustain that the whole year. I think it's possible, certainly. That's the upside case is he actually leads the the entire tight end position as a rookie in receiving yardage. But I don't necessarily think that's the case. My, My argument is essentially... When we get into February and March and people are looking back at his season, even if he has a significant fall off the rest of the way, for whatever reason, as long as he's remotely healthy, even if he puts up like 40 yards per game the rest of the way, this dude is going to break all-time records in a way that we're going to get into the offseason and remember, oh yeah, he started that season at 20. He turned 21 in October. He's still going to be a top two tight end in, in next season's drafts. He might be the tight end one. And I love that you're saying you're already considering him here at the second overall pick. And we look at at what, I mean, you mentioned Kelsey. And if you have Kelsey with the right mix of other players, I don't think that you're regretting that too much. I mean, everybody looks at this and they, you know, if I had picked Derek Henry, that would be better. But we know that only one of the 12 teams has Henry. And so if you have the right build with that, then you're doing quite nicely. And one of the things that we continue to see in a variety of different tools, you can go and look at our best ball tools. You can look at some of the other research and see that an elite tight end completely changes what your roster can do. And so then the question is, you know, do we want to pay a first round price? Because even the difference between a first round price and a second round price is a pretty big deal. And when you're in these early picks, when you're thinking, okay, well, I could have Dalvin Cook. You know, I could have Jonathan Taylor. I could have Alvin Kamara. I could have Derrick Henry again. I mean, these are going to be some guys who are very difficult to pass on. And so a little bit is going to depend on how comfortable are you with zero RB? Do you feel like you have a DeAndre Swift that you have identified 
a couple of rounds later and you'd be you prefer to have swift and pits you know, next year swift obviously swift is going to go much earlier in 2022 or do you need to have that running back and maybe someone like a mark andrews can come through and you mentioned those weekly numbers for the tight ends right now you have pits at 78 travis kelsey just under 78 and mark andrews there at 74 yards per game kelsey and andrews have scored more touchdowns and that's one of the reasons why when you look at pits um, i mean the numbers could be even better if this atlanta offense takes a step forward one of the things too that we've seen him do is that he can do this with calvin ridley i mean ridley had a lot of targets not a lot of efficiency in this game i think that because they don't have other players in this offense who are going to demand targets it's almost a best case scenario because you have two guys who could kind of keep the defense off each other to an extent now the thing with pits that i think is a little bit different for me than chase is that it does rely so heavily on those two games now those two games tell us something important i mean if they didn't matter then we would see other historical seasons in which young tight ends had blown up early on or blown up at all you look at some of the other names blair's got a cool article looking at some of the early you know first seven weeks tight end performances some of the names that come up there evan ingram jordan reed uh, aaron hernandez and those tight ends also have some similarity in terms of being more receiving oriented tight ends where they didn't have this kind of full responsibility that some of the guys have to deal with where you're learning the blocking elements as well i mean that's one of the reasons if you're going to be a full-time tight end at the nfl level the beginning of your rookie season is just brutally difficult you know it's, it's this big jump if you're more or less just a receiver then it's a little bit different Still, at the same time, you know, we've got some names, and those names can be looked at, you know, good or bad. Evan Ingram, there are some trade rumors around him right now. He's never really taken the next step beyond that. Jordan Reed injuries, Aaron Hernandez off-field stuff. I think even though it's just the two big games, you have to give those big games credit. But when we look at Jamar Chase, it's basically every game, right? And there's just no question here. I mean, if Kyle Pitts slowed down, I mean, what he's done so far is still going to put his overall resume in a position where people are going to take him early. But I think that if he has a, a slow second half, he's definitely not going to be the 102 and maybe not even, you know, a, a first round pick because a tight end is going to have to be able to really gap the field to be worth that. Obviously, if Jamar Chase really slows down as well, then you're going to have different questions. He's not going to be the 102. But even if Jamar Chase slows down with how dominant he's been over these first seven weeks, and he's going to be in the conversation as a first round pick. And I just think that, now chase is not only the dynasty wide receiver one but you know we've talked about some of the groups that he fits in how close his profile looks to you know, Devonta adams tyree kill those are guys who went in the first round this season and are more or less paying off right when you're getting 20 plus points per game at the wide receiver position that will put you in position to win your league and in some ways i think the talent can be even clearer to bet on and, and what it does for you in terms of roster construction uh, can be better you know it's one of the reasons why we talk about zero rb and it's in as many forms would you be looking at chase up in this range number one with some of the running backs and then number two you know Devonte adams i think the question there and the reason why you know if, if you're doing a draft right now for next season's redraft if you're doing it for dynasty, he's getting a little bit older. For redraft, you don't know where he's going to be in terms of the quarterback. And then Tyreek Hill, the Chiefs are on this little bit of a tailspin, and yet the performance is still so good. I mean, we're almost looking at a floor scenario with Tyreek Hill where his you know points are just off the charts. Yeah, it's it's tough. And I think for most people, they would 
you know, us talking about Pitts and, and Chase at 102 <laughs> probably just feels like a lot of exuberance. I mean, I think for most people probably they, they, they feel like maybe late first, early second, you know, turn type picks, even in tight end premium. I, I think there's several elements to this. Uh, first of all, one thing I wanted to mention when you were talking about Pitts and you mentioned Blair's article, it's fantastic. Uh, one of the things he notes right away is that Pitts already has more than 100 yards more than the rest of the players on that list. That's comparing him to guys in weeks one to seven. And Pitts has already had his bye week. <laughs> so he's had, you know, 100, 130 more yards than anyone's ever had, uh, or excuse me, since 2000. He's looking at the screener uh, in at the tight end position in the first seven games. And he did it in six games. Some of these other guys may have had their bye week as well, but nobody has, has been anywhere close to what he's done in Pitts as well. Probably a better prospect is the other note that I would say than uh, Evan Ingram, Jordan Reed, Aaron Hernandez, at least in terms of you know the combination of capital production and athleticism. And so that's very interesting. First of all, it's like yes, those guys. Get, I mean, I still almost don't want to compare them to anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's sort of the point I want to make there. With Chase as well, though, I completely agree. He's been even better. And I mean, that's sort of the the whole impetus for this discussion. I think is that I just. Like, I don't know. I, I really want to emphasize how good these guys have already been in a way that how promising that is, because what we're looking for in rookies is that they're at least efficient early. Right. And hopefully they have solid roles. But typically we see the rookie roles grow in the rookie season. Both of these guys are playing a ton. Chase just ran 100 uh, percent a route on 100 percent of dropbacks this week for the second time this year. He's been way up there in the 90 percent or higher range almost every game. but it's almost gotten to the point now where like he's going to be in on every single, like even that has been a subtle increase for him where he's now clearly the number one, you know, Higgins was hurt a little bit, but Chase is going to be in on every single dropback essentially. Now uh, maybe now he won't be at a hundred every single week, but yeah. Anyway, I just, I saw that even that small little gain as a subtle increase, sort of the same for Pitts. Uh started very, very high. Also still sort of, you know, these subtle gains were like, they've been so good that we see the efficiency lead to more opportunity. And so number one, typically we would expect rookies to be better later in the year than earlier. One of the things I got asked about with Chase this week was, are you concerned at all about his massive fantasy points over expectation numbers, right? And it's funny that, you know, we always think of that as a concern. Regression is a concern. But the way that I framed my response was, if Chase was half as good in terms of fantasy points over expectation, I would be doing backflips and saying he's going to be so good down the stretch that, you know, maybe he'd be a little bit undervalued at this point. He'd he'd feel like a screaming bye as a rookie who came in right away, was playing as much as he's playing, and was efficient at all, at least just a little bit efficient. He's been massively efficient over the, you know, the value expected from his 51 targets. The point I kind of want to emphasize is is it's certainly not a bad thing that he's been even more efficient than that, right? That he's been so, so, so good. Yes, we have to be concerned about regression in context. But the the way that I would put it going forward is his opportunity to this point, his targets and his usage basically would be the floor for me for going forward. And the median would be that it it grows some because he continues to just build and and Burrow continue that they continue to feature him, right? He's already earned so much value. Certainly there's some some concerns with more defensive attention or whatever, but that would be sort of the median as a little bit of growth. And the ceiling would essentially be that he's been that like he's unstoppable, right? He's just that good. He's that good of a prospect. It is certainly possible 
that he is already a top five receiver in the NFL now at, at age 21. Again, another super, super young rookie. And then same thing with the efficiency. This the the floor is like, okay, maybe he's like league average. I don't think he's gonna suddenly be inefficient. We don't we typically see players, and we talked about this on Sunday and I think on Wednesday, players that are like Chase. They, they, we, we talked about how Chase has been able to win in every way. He's winning after the catch, he's winning downfield. Players that are efficient in all those different ways, they basically have to see their efficiency get worse in every way. Suddenly he's not catching any of his deep shots. Suddenly he's also not breaking tackles or creating after the play using that athleticism. Again, certainly I don't think his efficiency is going to continue to be as good, but the floor is almost like league average efficiency. And and then the median is like, okay, he's going to be probably a little bit better than league average. And then the ceiling is, oh, he continues to be exceptionally efficient. Maybe not to the degree, like it's almost like a super ceiling that he continues to be as efficient as he's been. But the the point is you look at those two things. If you want to, you know, analyze it that way, you look at those two things in conjunctions, like the opportunity is likely to go up. The efficiency is, is likely to regress, but not as much as we probably think. It's not a bad thing that he's been so good, right? It's, it's only a good thing. And then the other main point I want to make with both of these guys, super young. We love year two breakouts. If you fast forward to the offseason, if you go six months forward, and again, with Chase, I want to make the same point about how many yards and, and, and how much production he's already banked. This dude is second in the NFL in receiving yardage. He's not far off in receiving TDs. I think he's three behind Cooper Cup. He, I, I wrote last week before his big breakout game that if you took his yards per game and his touchdown rate per game and cut them in half for the rest of the season, that he still would have had over 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns as a rookie, which, again, you, you fast-forward six months, you look back, you go, this guy at 21 had 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns. We want to buy that in year two heavily. I mean, look at where we were buying like Justin Jefferson and C.D. Lamb. That's if he, he was half as productive the rest of the way before this week's game, which was a 200-yard game and another touchdown. And, and so now it's like this guy has banked so many points, it's almost hard to imagine scenarios where he doesn't wind up with 12, 13, 1,400 yards and 12, 13, 14 touchdowns. I mean, he would have to be a quite a bit worse the rest of the way. But even in that scenario, in the offseason, we would come back and look at it and say, but Look at how good he was early in the year. That's a guy we want to buy in year two. I don't, you know, it sucks that he was worse the rest of the of his rookie season, but he showed us a ton as a rookie. And, and again, that's just what he's banked so far. And that's like the floor is what I'm talking about. There's there's this huge value floor for both of them. They're both already, even if they are very average the rest of the way, even if they can't sustain any of this, they're already guys that in the offseason, we're going to look back and say they were super young. They were really, really, really good their rookie year, even if they don't continue any of this. And they're guys that we want to buy going into year two. They're the exact type of class you want to buy going into year two. They're the exact type of class you guys of guys that you want to buy as rookies midseason looking forward to the rest of the year. Obviously, that's very challenging to do right now for either of them. They're almost untouchable. But yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just want to emphasize that more and more and more and more. I think it's sometimes hard to um, to really grasp how great they've both been. And they were both such great prospects. We're talking about them as potentially generational prospects. It's not exactly early at this point to be on it, but it, it might still be early in some respects that people might not grasp fully how high they're like, how bad they would have to be going forward, essentially for them to not still be really, really interesting. It would, we'd need like a year and a half of terrible play for us to ever like to not be excited about them again. And that's, that's not going to happen anyway, right? There's, that's like the last thing that we expect well, to happen. 
I don't know if we would need that much for pits, but again, I don't think it's going to happen. You mentioned the efficiency. Blair's got all of these great articles about efficiency and how it leads to more opportunity. People tend to think, well, you know, your efficiency is going to fall off if you're super efficient. So, you know, we want to be careful about that. Forgetting that talent creates more opportunity. You look at the group, and I, I mentioned a couple times on shows this week, wrote about it on Monday, that Chase's profile right now where he is fits in this group with Devonta Adams, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill. And I mean, you mentioned the routes. Blair did a cool thing on routes, showing that the rookie routes really increase throughout the season if their efficiency is high. He's already there from a routes perspective, but from a targets perspective, he has room to go up. Whereas guys like Adams and Cup and Hill do not necessarily. Now, I mean, they're going to have some individual games, and someone like you know Tyreek Hill could have an individual game where he has a huge target numbers, you know, scores forty points like he does from time to time. But Chase is the guy there who has room to actually improve his volume. And so that's something that not necessarily, but could counteract any sort of decline and just reasonable decline. I mean, you don't score 70 yard touchdowns every week in terms of the efficiency. The other thing there is that you mentioned this rookie breakout. I've done a lot of research on breakouts over the last you know, five, six years, write some articles on this every season. And the guys who break out in year one, you know, they go on to better seasons in the follow-up. Guys who break out in year two, very good seasons. The later you break out, the lower expectations we have for the subsequent season. And it's not that these are massive differences, although they are pretty significant as you get a little bit later. But these guys that break out right away, and it, this, this is intuitive, right? We're not saying anything that doesn't kind of follow what you would expect. But it's nice to see that, yeah, I mean, these are the people who go on to be stars and go on to be worthy of those very top picks. And so, you know, I think a little bit in terms of, Julio Jones heading into his second season. I drafted him at the 102. Now, different because at that sort of snapshot in time, we did not have the group of Uber backs that we have right now. The running back scoring wasn't as high. And so I think that you have to have a lot higher expectations for Chase than you would have had for Julio Jones, or that more scenarios in which you think he's going to hit the high outcome. I mean, you draft Julio Jones with the idea that, you know, yeah, he has this really high potential outcome, but you know, you're going to have a range with Chase. That range needs to be higher because these backs are so good. But Chase is also way beyond where Jones was, number one, as a prospect and where he was as a rookie. And so, I mean, we're looking at a guy here who could legitimately go in this range. Ben Adams, Hill, Diggs, all first round picks this year. Hill has had the huge games that have kind of balanced out some of his lower games. Adams has again been a star. Stefan Diggs, our absolute favorite, hasn't scored the points yet to necessarily justify that. But I think if you have him, I mean, he, he was our first round pick on our, our Chasing Stolen Bananas team. And I was kind of joking with you guys about how, I mean, we scored 177 with Diggs on the bye and Barkley uh, out with injuries this past week. And so I mean, it's more than just one player. You're building this entire roster. I think if you have Diggs and your team is still in good shape right now, then you're pretty excited about what he could do over the second half of the season. Kind of big picture, are you? do you feel think, comfortable no, with I mean, what the first-round receivers have done? Do you feel comfortable doing that again next year if you have the right guys? I think I'll always be comfortable with that. I think Diggs, you're kind of getting to it, but it's pretty clear he's not really in the 2022 first-round discussion right now. For two main reasons. One, he hasn't been as productive so far this year. And two, he shot up into that ADP range just this past offseason from, from his big 2020 
I don't think there was enough overall buy-in even there. And I think there, I thought there should have been, I should have been potentially more because of the offense and all these other things. And I do think he's going to have a really strong rest of the year, but his end of, again, like, I mean, I'm focusing too much on the production that's already been banked, but his end of season numbers aren't going to be great. People look at those final lines into the off season. Diggs is certainly going to lose a little bit of shine, even if he kind of crushes the rest of the way. Adams and Hill are guys that have consistently gone this high and, and they're producing. And so I, I think they're the ones that will be right there, you know, along with Chase. And it's funny. I, I don't think we're actually, you know, we should get back to the the actual task at hand of, of doing the, you know, the, the redraft ADP. I don't know that I would necessarily say that Chase and Pitts belong at 102 right now because I, I want – the guys that I want are Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift. <laughs> you know, like I want these – uh, young running backs who have have shown a lot of promise. And I think, you know, certainly by next season, Marlon Mack is gone and Jonathan Taylor is even more a focal point. We've seen his role grow just, a you know, a little bit over the last two weeks. He has been uh, at least 10 percentage points higher in each of the past two games in snap share and in route share compared to where he was in any of the first five games. So we've seen a, a jump over the last couple of games. He does have a little rib injury. We'll see how that continues. But there's more meat on the bone for Jonathan Taylor from this, the perspective that he's, he hasn't gotten the eight, 75%, 80% snap shares with regularity. Um, and yet he's still been so good. Like we're looking at young Adrian Peterson there and DeAndre Swift. There's so many reasons to be optimistic about him as well. Young guys, young, you know, love that they both came in as 21 year old rookies. You know, Najee Harris is a part of this discussion, Sean, and, and he was part of the, you know, the, the discussion with the, the the other rookies that are doing incredible, you know, my stance is essentially that if you had, if you took Najee over either Chase or Pitts, I mean, I, I think there was reasons for that. There's a lot of people that I play dynasty with that are very good at, you know, taking the running backs, getting the early career value, you know, the opportunity is going to be strong. And then, and then basically selling and moving on at a certain point. And you kind of just redo that over and over because the running back values for young guys go, go through the roof early in, in their careers but I, I do think if you took Harris over either of, of Chase or Pitts, like at this point, you have to feel like, you you know, that's a bummer. You made a mistake like that or whatever. The outcome has proven that way because Chase and Pitts were potentially generational prospects that have now shown to be that good. They essentially like literally are generational in that, you know, like they, they're doing things that we haven't seen for a generation. And so anyway, I, I Harris Still, though, isn't a part of the discussion for redraft. The one of the interesting things about him, he's already 23. He turns 24 next March. I mean, he's not a young rookie. He's actually a very old rookie. He's a, uh, a year older than both Taylor and Swift, who are in their second seasons. I don't know how much that will play into redraft ADP. People tend to look at the years in the league a little bit more. But yeah, uh, two guys that came in a year younger than him, or I mean a year earlier than him, are still a year younger than him. They came in basically two full years younger when they came in as rookies. And and Harris is old enough that like Christian McCaffrey is not even two years older than him. Saquon is a year older than him. So from an age perspective, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm like massively concerned about Harris at all. His workload has been fantastic, but in some regards, what Harris has done so far, it's it certainly to me is not on par with Chase and Pitts. Chase and Pitts have done things from a talent perspective that we feel very, very confident in what they're able to do going forward. Harris has had an, an amazing, amazing role, amazing usage, great opportunity, huge snap share, tons of targets, catching a ton of passes. He's sub four in yards per carry. 
He's sub average in, you know, yards per target and some of the receiving efficiency metrics. A lot of that you can put on Pittsburgh. I've seen a lot more out of him than I maybe expected. I wasn't really necessarily high on him. He's, I mean, he's good. He throws some stiff arms. He, he makes some moves. He does some things that are, have been really fun to watch, but there's, there are paths for Najee Harris where he winds up being a pretty inefficient rookie that just is carried on volume. And you, I don't want to be buying into an old rookie running back who was carried by role, right? I mean, that's the thing that I actually think you would want to be avoiding. And, and that doesn't mean I want to be out on Najee Harris, but this is a guy who's been very, very good. I think people immediately think needs to be right here in this discussion after, you know, going into year two as a very, you know, right now he's in the top three in, in running back scoring as a rookie in, in PPR formats. I mean, that's fantastic, but it's, it, it's mostly all on roll. I mean, what happens if they, they're talking up Anthony McFarland who's coming back? I don't think McFarland's going to cut into his workload, but what if he does now Harris's value craters we were just talking about chase and pitts already so insulated uh i don't think harris's value craters that's that's not the right way of phrasing that at all but i do think his value starts to really come down and we have to see him be more efficient to to to, you know continue to buy in uh the second part of it is what happens and sean you pointed this out to me when i was talking to you a little bit earlier this week what happens if ben roethlisberger retires where does this offense go right um what happens uh, I think I said to you, yeah, what if they get a, 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 a dual threat quarterback? Because then suddenly now the receptions are completely gone. And you were joking, um, what if, you know, the Eagles don't really love Jalen Hurts? What if they let Jalen Hurts go? What if he winds up in Pittsburgh next year? Is Najee Harris going to be able to overcome the sort of the Miles Sanders situation? I mean, that's that's the risk with Najee Harris right now. And that's part of the reason that I don't feel comfortable putting him in the top five even right now in a way that I feel so comfortable being above market on Chase and Pitts. We're going to have to penalize Ben a bit there for blasphemy since Harris is the RB1 on our best team right now. We do not want any of the things that Ben is saying to, to come true. You can listen to that live draft if you want. Go back and look at the show archive there and why we selected him in the second round this year. Ben, when we come back from the break, I'm going to make you give your 102, really lock you in there, 102, 103. Before we go, I did want to mention on Chase, and it kind of fits in with this conversation about where these guys are and how good their situation is. It matters for redraft. It matters for dynasty. You look at Chase, really the only guy who's similar, and it's not. It's a little bit different because Odell Beckham's time period for playing was shifted a little bit since he wasn't healthy at the beginning of his rookie season. But Odell Beckham is the guy who would be a similar type of player. He perhaps has some personality quirks that made it hard for him to maintain that as he got deeper into his career, he's had some injuries, but he also had some offensive issues with the quarterbacks, with the offensive coordinators, with the team. We don't expect anything like that to happen with Jamar Chase. Part of what makes him just the so clear dynasty wide receiver one at this point is that not only is this amazing superstar, but he gets to play with a QB in year two, who was the number one overall pick, was a star in college, has overcome an injury. And if you are going to grow with a young star QB, I mean, you're just so insulated from anything bad happening. I mean, those guys could get hurt, right? Career-ending injuries can happen to anybody at any time. But the overall situation there is so fantastic. And even defensive attention. You have T. Higgins there, who had 15 targets last week and was a fantastic rookie in his own right, generated incredible puff pieces out of camp going into the season. 
And then it's been held back a little bit by some injuries. And in some ways, you almost feel like he's dealing with being overshadowed by Chase a little bit mentally. But, I mean, you have these two guys. The defense cannot do some of the things, even some of the things that they did to Calvin Johnson. Now, you didn't slow Calvin Johnson down or even stop it. You know, but if, if you have maybe a T. Higgins running with Calvin Johnson, does he put up multiple 2,000-yard seasons? I mean, there's no red flags with Jamar Chase. I mean, that's the, the the point, right? It's green across the board, and I just love when everything is green across the board. So I'm, I'm pushing more for Ben to to get Chase here at the 102. I think that neither of us will actually have him there. When we come back from the break, uh, we'll see you in just a second. Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Rotoviz Radio Podcast Network, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Rotoviz NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Or go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Ben, I'm going to uh, steal your thunder by just a bit by going in first 102. I'm taking Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, you did steal my thunder because that was my pick. <laughs> you teased it. I was so excited to come back. Yeah, I think Taylor's going to have fantastic rest of this season. He looks uh, just great. I mean, he's been very efficient. He's had some big plays in a, in a way that probably aren't sustainable. He had the 70-something yard reception for a touchdown against the Ravens and then backed it up with like an 85-yard run the next week that didn't get into the end zone, but he punched in a TD on that drive. You're going to have huge yardage efficiency when you have those big types of plays in a small sample early in the year. At the same time, he just looks really, really good right now. He actually had some real issues in the first couple of weeks. If we think back where he wasn't punching in touchdowns, remember he was getting so many touches inside the 10, was not able to score. His line could be even better right now. I think it's going to be better going forward. I've kind of hypothesized for most of the year. Most, and I think most people feel this way, that most of Mac's role has been sort of showcasing him for a trade 
they're not able to get a trade. I mean, they might get a trade done, which would be great. Boom, simple and easy. If they're not able to get a trade done, I still think after the trade deadline, Mac basically doesn't play and, and that we don't see that because they're not, they're not going to have a reason to showcase him anymore. And that's part of the reason he's asking for a trade is I think it's pretty clear to him as well. And it's clear to the team that you got to use Jonathan Taylor. I think they're going to continue to use him the rest of this year. And so things will only be better than what we've seen in a way that makes him the pretty clear 102 next year as just this elite, elite talent. Maybe not the perfect situation, but certainly a good enough situation and very young. And then my 103 is DeAndre Swift, the other guy that I mentioned. I think I think there are going to be three really strong running backs. Swift has had the type of workload that we want. He's basically had a Kamara-esque receiving and goal line. You know, he's getting the receptions. He's getting the TDs. We had so many, so many conversations about how much of his production was in garbage time. Last week, they're actually very competitive with the Rams. Swift's a huge part of building that lead with the long touchdown reception early. But even as they're in pretty much neutral script throughout that entire game, Swift's role, which has been a lot higher over the last several weeks, stayed high. It stayed in the same range. What we learned is even when they're competitive, and perhaps more so when they're competitive, they want DeAndre Swift on the field to try to help them win games because he's their best player, basically. His uh, route share actually was, uh, I believe, a season high. Jamal Williams pretty much non-existent in that game. And Jamal Williams has been good, but um, they, they just can't get DeAndre Swift off the field. Whether they're competitive or they're not competitive, they want to play this guy. He's going to put up a really strong season. We're going to go into next year, and he's going to be 23. And we're going to be saying, well, look at what he's done. Because I don't think people even remember. We talked about this in the offseason a little bit, how good he was as a rookie in terms of his receptions and his touchdowns. I'm pulling it up right now, but... He had, I believe, 10 touchdowns last year. Yes, 10 touchdowns, 46 receptions. So far this year, already at 42 receptions, five touchdowns. He only played 13 games last year. Assuming he stays healthy the rest of this year, we're going to have not even two full seasons, but we're going to have close to 150 receptions, and we're going to have 20-something touchdowns from a 23-year-old running back on a team that like looked like the Lions are – they're not they're winless, but I think everybody is really kind of enjoying Dan Campbell and the way they're playing and they look kind of fun. They could be a lot more interesting next year as well from a team level. And so Swift, I think, is uh, the 103 for me. Yeah, I don't know if I can go 103 with Swift, mostly because I don't want to jinx it, right? I mean, Swift is is my most rostered player, and he looks so fantastic right now. Jonathan Taylor, 17 expected points per game. Two fantasy points over expectation. The only player with more EP and more fantasy points over expectation is Derrick Henry. You look at the breakdown there, the only running back with more rushing EP per game is Henry. And that's despite the fact that they're very clearly trying to hold Taylor back and manage his reps, manage his snaps, manage his carries, something that could increase going forward. Now, the the tiny little red flag is that he's still below five, just barely below five. In terms of receiving EP, we want that number to get to eight. In the the big profile that I did on Taylor preseason, and talking about how he's so clearly comped to Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, and the workload jumps that those guys had, including in the receiving game, which I think a lot of people didn't expect until it happened. You had the bump in year two, the bigger bump in year three, and in year three, the overall profile was so dynamic that if they could have a year where they hit in terms of points over expectation as well, then they were going to have an absolutely massive season. So I love the trajectory that Taylor is on to go with his talent. Then you mentioned Swift there at three. 
he actually has more expected points per game. He is at, at 19 there. And despite the difficulties that the Lions have, I mean, you might think, okay, well, it's Swift, it's garbage time. He's going to have some of these great opportunities. So he's going to underperform them. You know, that's actually not the case. And as a receiver, he is solidly plus something else that is great to see there. He has the most receiving EP per game of all of these running backs. And so if we're looking at Harris kind of being locked in because of that receiving value, then we have to consider Swift as potentially locked in as well and with more explosiveness. And so you mentioned the workload with Harris and, you know, do we want to be buying a workload, which we know can change. And one of the foundational principles of zero RB is that we don't want to buy these workloads. And so with Harris, that is the red flag there. Now his profile fits very nicely to do that. Right. And so we also know that you have to have that kind of profile to be a legitimate top seven or eight pick. And so while I wouldn't have Harris in the top three or four, probably the top five, I do think that he's a solid round one selection in the way that a lot of other backs that are talked about that early are not. And so I do like that about him. One of the things with Harrison we're continuing to see is that he didn't break a lot of long runs in college. That actually is a big red flag, you know, transitioning to the NFL. It's unlikely. Now we've seen guys like Le'Veon Bell, like Christian McCaffrey, not be extremely efficient as rookies, take the next step in their second season with Bell, it was this ability to really maintain the run pass split and to be this 20 plus EP guy. It's impossible to not come through when you're a 20 plus EP. I don't think he's going to do what a Christian McCaffrey did where he went from being an inefficient runner to just an explosive player all around. That's what you need to be to be a top three sort of guy. So I'm going to go with Alvin Kamara at the 103. I think the situation in New Orleans that he's overcome to this point is so impressive. I think the direction that they're going to have to go with him in the receiving numbers still puts him up at that level where when you combine the receptions with the talent and just sort of the coaching continuity and strength. I mean, Jameis Winston has been bad for this offense. It's likely they're going to have a bad QB next year. I think that that is not ideal when you're talking about the third overall pick. But it's also something we're dealing with with Carson Wentz there. So uh, we're looking at a couple of guys here where maybe not the perfect situation, you know, Christian McCaffrey at the 101, not the perfect situation. Maybe these guys aren't going to be delivered to the goal line to have a potential 25 touchdown season. But those are the three profiles. And then I will go Swift at the 104. So do you, do you have a 104 there? Can I, can I tempt you into Pitts or Chase yet? <laughs> I, I mean, God, it is it's challenging. I, I like your takes on Kamara. I will push back a little, or at least for me, in, in, in age, just an age perspective, he'll be 27 in July of next year. So he'll just turn 27. I, I worry at that at that point. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy, but Kamara's already going to be sort of on the other other side. Now, at the same time, I'm still taking Christian McCaffrey 101. And so I think what, what's he? He'll be 26, I think. And so I can't really be too yeah, he'll be 26 in June. And so you can't can't really be too critical of that. I think uh you make strong cases about Kamara. I think he makes a lot of sense at 104. I think Saquon would be someone that I would still be considering here, depending how the rest of – I mean, it, it's it's hard right now because he was hurt all of last year. He spent a lot of time the prior year hurt. 
and he's hurt now in this season. And so it's a question of, do we see the best of Saquon at some point in 2021? If we do, I think he's right here in this discussion. If we don't, he's probably not close to this discussion necessarily. He might be, you know, the 112. And so, you know, sort of where he was going this year. And so, yeah, he, he's another one I'd throw in this in this range. I, I think I'll go Kamara probably at this point. I think he made good enough good enough arguments. I love I love the receiving value. So I'm gonna go Chase at 105. My concern there with Barkley is that with the injuries that we've had over the past several years and with the changes within the coaching staff, the quarterback play, all of that, we can't be sure that he's going to have the receiving role to have that sort of receiving EP range up there in the eight, nine, 10 that he's had in the past with that uncertainty. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I think that he still is maybe the biggest upside pick of any player in the draft, but with that uncertainty, with the offense, with his health, then I'm going to move him down a little bit there as a result of that. I don't think that he's locked in to the receiving workload that these other backs that we're looking at have. And then 106, I'll go with Kyle Pitts. So you are ahead of, I mean, I think with Adams, it's really tough because we don't know if Rodgers will be there. We don't know if Adams will be in Green Bay. They might go as a package deal to some other team. You know, there's been all sorts of speculation. Um, it's very tough to know where Devontae Adams will be playing and what type of quarterback situation he'll be in. Obviously, being tied to Rodgers has been very helpful for his you know, just overall, I mean, I think he's very, very good, but overall his targets, his touchdowns, those things, that the things that they do pre-snap and some of the, you know, unspoken communication they clearly have on the football field, so valuable for him. So I would have Tyreek Hill ahead of Devonta Adams. I think it's a, a really interesting discussion about Tyreek Hill versus Jamar Chase as the number one wide receiver. I think I might still lean Tyreek Hill, but you already have Chase and Pitts here, and now I feel like I'm the low man. And I also do think we have to have Najee Harris somewhere in this range. Well, can I tempt you into Dalvin Cook in this slot? And Cook is Cook has certainly come to mind. My concern, again, I we're getting up there in age, and we're talking about another season where he's had some injuries. He's had a really hard time staying healthy, and yet he's incredibly good. But I think I will – I just talked about leaning into injury risk with Christian McCaffrey, but I think I'll be afraid of his injury profile. I, I, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that's consistent, but I, I think I, I am a little bit more biased against Dalvin Cook from an injury and durability perspective. Have we even seen 16 games out of him in his career? We haven't, and we're not going to again this year. He's tough. We talked about the difficulty of sustaining a 15-5 and five profile and the 15 rush EP, the five receive EP, his receiving numbers are up a little bit. He's over six, but that's still in a range where it just it makes it difficult. You have to be an absolute superstar to make that work. His rushing expected points are down to just over 11. And in part, that's because he hasn't played full games, right? If he plays the full game, then you're looking at a little bit of a different dynamic there. The other problem is that despite how good he is, his fantasy points over expectation are not in that elite level. And so... Uh, I have some struggles with the Vikings offense with Kirk Cousins. I know Kirk Cousins will go out there and have some good games for you. I know that their passing attack is going to be very solid with Justin Jefferson. But the overall setup is a little bit more in the Derrick Henry range for me, where you're talking about an absolute superstar, and yet you're really chasing a very specific scenario 
a very specific stretch of health and you know, scoring touchdowns, accomplishing all of those kinds of things in order to do what you need to do with those guys. And so especially as they get up there and age a little bit, it moves them down for me slightly. Now, when we say moves them down, I mean, this isn't meant to be a criticism saying, you know, we're out on them or they're not good or anything like that. Or the people who are drafting them are making a mistake. It's just you'd have to make some tough decisions when you're talking about the very top guys. Yep, absolutely. And I think you put that very well. The way that I would sort of then you put my previously voiced concerns about whether I was being consistent with McCaffrey or Cook very well in that with McCaffrey, I feel very, very confident that if healthy, I'm going to get that positional advantage. I'm going to get that massive EP and he's good. So maybe efficiency on top of that. I'm going to get fantasy points with Cook. I also am very confident, but there are at least a little bit of concerns about the on the production side, the, the team situation side, some of those things where I have to I have to do two things now. I have to tell myself that he can stay healthy. And number two, I have to tell myself that he can be good enough, which I, I like you said, it's it, it it's you would expect that as a default, but with McCaffrey, it just feels like an absolute lock. It's like a 90, it feels like a 98% chance compared to a 90% chance. And that extra eight percentage points is substantial when you're talking about already taking on running back risk and they have some, you know, health issues in the past and all those things. So maybe those aren't the right, <laughs> the right percentages. I just didn't off the top of my head, but that's, I think you helped me understand why I, I feel differently about those two. I think I'll take Tyreek Hill and then chase at one Oh six. Oh, uh, one Oh, am I at one Oh five? I think I'm at one Oh five. and No, that, that's, that's right. That's right. So we're now looking at the one Oh seven. We have, uh, I have Hill still available. You have Pitt still available. We both have Harris. We both have Cook. We both have uh, Adams. We both have Henry. Is Henry someone who would pop in for you here? Now, for me, I think that the more that you continue to establish a baseline that's crazy high in terms of both what you can manage on a per game basis, what you can do from an efficiency perspective, I keep pointing back to this fact that you have guys like an Eckler, like a Camara, like a Henry where they've established multiple season ability to beat what the expectation would be. And so when we're talking about ceiling outcomes, I mean, it's very possible that Henry could come out next season and have his EP be in the 17, 18 range. And then he doesn't beat it. He comes in at expectation. He's worth 18 points a game. And everybody's like, Oh, see, you know, we were right when it's like, I mean, lost the season in 2021 first right so that's relevant there <laughs> you know and so so those are some things coming into play with henry i think the fact that it comes it's similar to some of these other things where you almost want to think of it also as not just the legendary seasons we need at the same time you have an 18 point per game season from that running back in round one and you build the rest of your team appropriately you're going to be very successful Right. So, you know, we want the 26 point per game season, but you also don't need to take insane risks. I mean, I think back to some of the decisions that we made and I love Barkley. I'm glad we have him. I love Taylor. I'm glad we have them. Even though it looks like it's going to work out with Taylor. And I mean, if Barkley just gets back in a week or two, it looks like it will work out with him. If you stayed competitive, you know, your playoff upside could be so extreme, but you know, were those risks necessary now? They slid into the mid-second round in a lot of leagues, and I think there it was pretty easy. Yeah, I think I, I agree with this point. It's one of the biggest lessons, I think, from some of the, the draft decisions we made. At the same time, 
I want to emphasize the 2021 outcome has been a little different. And that's part of the reason that things and the outcome, meaning that Christian McCaffrey has gotten hurt. Dalvin Cook has gotten hurt. Alvin Kamara has not hit a ceiling. The running back ceilings are down. And that was one of the ways that I talked in subtle ways in certain opportunities, in certain situations where Henry could wind up looking really good. Now, Henry has been even better than I thought he could be. And that's, that is, uh, you know, something that has to be acknowledged. But at the same time, part of the reason he's looked so good I mean, we go back, I, I sometimes go all the way back to 2015, where Devonta Freeman ended up being the overall number one. Adrian Peterson was number two. If you basically didn't get Freeman late or you didn't take Peterson early, in a lot of ways you were really, really in, in bad shape that year because so many running backs busted. The reason I reference that year, Freeman was the number one at 21 points per game. Peterson was at 16.7 and was right there basically as the, the overall RB2 at 16 points. And every year since then, We've basically, I, I think, had multiple 20-pointers at running back every single season since then. And so some of it is relative to the other backs. And I don't think that you know maybe gets discussed enough when we try to learn lessons. Part of what's happened here in 2021 is we were, when you talk about the risk we were taking, we were chasing, if you're going to take a running back early, you're trying to catch so many points from the McCaffrey owner. And right now, that's not how anything has played out, obviously. And and maybe we should have been more open to the scenarios where McCaffrey could get hurt. At the same time, yeah, I mean, we don't want to overcorrect to 2021 being a little unique in that way is the way that I would frame that. But Henry, for me, not quite here yet. I think I, I do agree with you in the stability, and, and I, I think he's certainly going to be in my first round. I do want to get Pitts on the board, and I also want to get Harris on the board, and I think they're kind of the next two for me. I like those selections. I'm going to take Hill, who hasn't gone off for me yet. And then at the 108, I will come back with Barkley. I think that his upside is just still a lot greater. I think that he's Harris with athleticism. <laughs> or not with athleticism. We, we know that one of the reasons why people like Najee Harris is that his size-athleticism combination is extraordinary. But Barkley is the guy with the ability to create explosive plays. We saw that on the long reception. I mean, he has the ability to do that type of volume and beat it by three or four points. Whereas Harris right now, just to give a little bit of a sense, I mean, Harris has that top EP profile, but he's underperforming by more than three and a half points per game. And one of the things that we see is, yeah, I mean, you would expect him to not underperform by that much going forward, but a guy who is in a bad offense and is being targeted a lot because the rest of the passing plays don't work, has a bad offensive line, has an iffy quarterback. Those are not the guys that they don't create explosive plays. And if you didn't create explosive plays at Alabama, your chances of creating a lot of explosive plays at the NFL level aren't great. You're not going to see that FPOE number jump into the range where you can really stay with someone like a Saquon Barkley. So I'll go with Barkley there. And then I'm going to come back at 109 and take Harris because of that workload. It, it's tricky because I, I do I do almost still want to take Stefan Diggs right there, but I will be patient and see where he falls to. I yeah, and I'm gonna follow you and take Barkley and and uh, I think that's at my ninth spot, right? We've taken all the same first nine, more or less. Cause I, I and I was considering Barkley as high as a top five. I, I think I, I, I did already say this that the rest of his season is gonna be very telling. And so it's it's tough to place him right now, but that's sort of a default for me. I think I'm also going to throw Derrick Henry in here at number 10. 
And then who else did I have in the back of my mind that I wanted to get in this first round? Oh, Adams is a tough one because Adams, I think, belongs in this range as well. For me, I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson. Yeah. And he's I think that one. he is the other superstar wide receiver who's going to have just such a massive target share kind of in that Minnesota offense. You look at where he is right now, just 16.9 receiving EPs, had the buy, but he's beating those numbers. He's the player I would expect his target share to increase and to continue to continue to rise. I mean, going into last week, I, you and I were kind of joking in terms of where some of these guys we think will fit in dynasty in a year. And I was saying that before the big week for Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts, that I had them at the 107 and the 112 in Superflex, right? So I, I only have, I mean, I had Justin Jefferson ahead before that would flip-flop for me. But those top guys, you have Jefferson, Chase, Lamb, Hill, C.D. Lamb, someone else who is a little bit interesting and controversial because whereas having Chase with T. Higgins, I think is great. Having Lamb with Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, Dalton Schultz, Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, that's not as good. Now, some of these guys are not necessarily going to be back for the 2022 season. If the team is a lot different next year and the opportunities are going to be more concentrated, then Lamb becomes a compelling first-round pick as well. Yeah, Amari Cooper's contract does allow them to get out with not a ton of dead money after this year, um, and people have speculated that that could happen. Uh, you know, they, they certainly couldn't have got out before this year. They would have had a massive uh, dead cap hit. I don't think that it's a certainty that he, you know, is, is cut or anything or traded or, or what have you, but that opportunity does become available to them and then Gallup is, if I'm not mistaken, a free agent, right? And so it's kind of hard to imagine that, that Lamb is in a scenario where both Gallup and Cooper are still there. And so he probably has at least that going for him. They might both be back. But um, if they if they do bring Gallup back in free agency, it might be as a, a combination in letting Cooper go. I mean, I, it'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, Cedric Wilson even has played very well. Maybe they want to build some of these other guys up uh i think you know sort of telling as well that they drafted uh simi fahoko this year who they haven't used at all but they didn't seem to need a receiver depth but they were addressing that anyway i mean I, i'm sort of thinking too many steps ahead probably but i i like lamb i think he's right there i i said in the preseason that i would have and actually i'm looking at our our 2022 drafts from the preseason i had lamb ahead of jefferson and i know that I sort of made the argument, you did not. You had Jefferson very high, and he belongs still very high. The argument I made was that I felt that because Dak got hurt, Lamb basically didn't have the, the same opportunity to have such a fantastic rookie year. And if, and more or less, if Dak wouldn't have gotten hurt, that Lamb would be thought of right on par with Jefferson. He was already thought of as a better prospect prior to the rookie seasons. Jefferson, obviously fantastic as a rookie. That argument from the preseason, I would say I have flip-flopped on now. Jefferson has been fantastic again. I've really enjoyed watching him early this year. I think I was a little bit too skeptical of his ability to repeat. He is really good. Lamb has had some downs as well as some big, big, big ups as well. Um, I, I'm still very optimistic about Lamb. There's a lot of reasons to be positive about him. But a stretch in there where, you know, didn't do a lot early this year. 
I think you have to have Jefferson over Lamb at this point. And that's not necessarily controversial, but even for someone like me who was skeptical of whether that would be the way we would look at it at the end of 2021. Uh, I think I'm right with you that I, I want to get Jefferson. Lamb. I don't, where am I at? I want to get Kelsey in here too. I think I, I'm not, I'm, I think you're one eleven. We're running out of picks. We have, we have cook. We have Austin Eckler. It, it gets crowded at the end of round one, which is kind of fun. Oh, I haven't taken cook yet either. Yeah. I mean, those are the guys I think, at the one-two turn, the opportunity to take a Kelsey or a Cook, even at their age, you know, Cook obviously not that old, but um, Kelsey certainly at his age, but s- still given his production level, those those are picks that I'd be willing to make. I don't, I think I'd probably take them over Lamb. I, I think I'm with you with Jefferson though. I think Jefferson has to be here in the first round, and ahead of Diggs for me as well, like you like you said. So. I'm at 111. My 110 was Henry. Now I want to take Henry out, but I'm always wrong on Henry. So I'll take Jefferson and I'll take at 112. I will take, I'll take Cook over Kelsey and over Lamb. I'm going to, I'm going to follow very similar. The thing just kind of interesting, I think to note here is that in terms of yardage, Jefferson and Lamb are sixth and seventh behind the kind of five big stars. So they're lurking right there. And Lamb is doing it despite only having a 23% target share. And so, I mean, you look at what could happen and kind of what his trajectory is as well. And we're going to be talking about him as the Hill, as the Devontae Adams, you know, of, of the next five, six years, he's going to hit a lot of times in there. I'm going to go ahead and take Cook 11th. I'm going to take Lamb 12th. And then look to kind of structurally hit some of those running backs if they come back through. Now they might not, but I feel a little bit more comfortable missing on some of those guys than I would missing on Jefferson or Lamb late. You know, we saw someone like an Eckler sneak into the second round when he had the injury going into the draft. We know that Aaron Jones has the huge upside, sneaks into that second round range. If you feel comfortable with a Nick Chubb, you can take him there. There may be, you know, next year's Swift. At that point, someone like a Travis Etienne is going to be difficult to value for a variety of reasons. If he goes at the 3-4 turn or even later, like we saw from Swift this season, I could see him being a very high-rostered guy if you started with some of these wide receivers and tight ends. I think that Hill is the guy I think will survive this season a little bit better from the Chiefs' perspective maybe than Kelsey, even though Kelsey has been much more solid of people maybe a little skeptical about the tight end being able to have those massive like round one types of weeks, even though you don't have to have quite the same performance at tight end to get the job done. So I was going to ask you where, 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 I mean, we're, we're doing this as tight end premium. He's going to be 32. I, I think it's, I don't have him in my first round either. I think I'd probably have him right at 201. I'm curious, where would he fall in for you? And where would guys like Waller and them? Cause we, we have pits now as the pretty clear tight end one, where are we looking at the other tight ends? Where, where do they come in for you? And just broadly, as you sort of look forward in tight end premium. With Waller, I have a lot of questions because outside of that crazy week one, that seemed like, uh, you know, not just what we were anticipating, but beyond what we were anticipating, you know, I would like to see him do more. I mean, his nine targets a game and that's, that's kind of crazy, right? It, there's a gap down to Hawkinson and Pitts in the seven and a half range. He hasn't been as efficient as we would like. 
you know, well below Kelsey in yards, you know, half as many touchdowns. The target share is the best of any tight end. And I think you can make the, the claim that even though Ruggs has had some big plays, Renfro is emerging as this, you know, very solid underneath wide receiver. Edwards has made some plays in the last couple of weeks. When everything is really going right for that offense, Waller is still the guy. Derek Carr, I, I don't think there's anything that's a mirage about what he's done this season. And I think that he's going to be okay post-Gruden. He's going to emerge as not a star. I mean, it, it's easy to throw that around. But someone who's in that 11, 12, 13 range, perhaps as an NFL reality quarterback, will support some of these guys. So, yeah, it it is tricky. I'm going to go, though, with Henry and Eckler above those guys before I get back to the tight end there. But then early in that second round, I do think there's a gap then to the next wide receivers you need. Diggs is going to be in there. But then after that, you can take Kelsey and Waller. I think that Mark Andrews has made a push. But then I think we're going to get back into this kind of situation where once those top tight ends are gone, I mean, you really are looking at this massive drop into where the next group is. So uh, this isn't really today's project, but I think it'll be interesting to kind of track how Fant, Hawkinson, and Gasicki finish because they're really the guys who are sort of making the push to either be included not in that top group, but in the next tier that actually gets some very serious draft attention or whether they fall down into basically everybody else who is, I mean, it's not irrelevant, but you're not going to be looking at any of those guys until you have the rest of your lineup pretty well filled out. Yeah, and Kittle, I think how he plays when he comes back. But Fant was the other one that uh, I'm glad you mentioned that I was thinking it's it'll be interesting to see sort of where he and Hawkinson finish up. Yeah, no, that was a good answer. That's sort of what I was wondering about. I agree with you there. I think you said Henry Eckler, Diggs, and and Lamb. I don't think either of us did. You take Lamb at twelve? Oh, you took Lamb. I did. Yeah. Okay. You already have Lamb on the board. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's. uh, fun first like 18 i think you know there'll be other running backs that could certainly be in the discussion there including like the aaron joneses and i don't know where we'll be at with antonio gibson but you can throw him travis etn who knows where he'll i mean he's probably gonna be like a fourth round pick nick chubb some of these names will probably be names that people maybe would have expected i'm kind of looking at our, what we did in the early, uh in the off season other names that we had in the off season in our 2022 first rounds include Calvin Ridley, who has not been great, but probably is, you know, still going to, I think, perform well enough down the stretch that he'll be at least a second rounder next year. We both had Clyde Edwards, a layer in our top 15. We are not going to be anywhere near that. I don't expect we both had uh, DJ Moore and AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. And I think those guys will probably still be in these ranges uh, as we were expecting. They were, they were second round picks for us more or less. That's about, the way that we would probably shake out the whole second round as well. Right. I think so. I I do think, you know, we talk about the high floor for someone like Harris and dynasty and how, you know, you could even play him another year, uh, get back out of him. One of the things just to kind of throw this out there as we conclude, you know, it can be tricky to constantly churn the running backs in that, you know, if your team succeeds with them and then you have a pick in the 9 through 12 range i mean that's really the heart for wide receivers and so you know you're not necessarily in the range to get the next guy but a running back who i still think could actually be the top second year back in dynasty next season javante williams the peripherals are fantastic jerry judy coming back if teddy bridgewater can really do anything 
then suddenly we have this situation where I just I, I keep expecting the Broncos to to be explosive. And when Melvin Gordon gets sidelined, Javante Williams scores some more touchdowns. We look into the 2022 crystal ball. Uh, Williams is that next guy. I mean, we have a handful of players in terms of Akers, Dobbins, Swift, Edwards, Alaire this year kind of being in that second, third range. People excited about them. Mostly that hasn't worked out because of injuries. But those backs, the next people to take the, the jump up, Williams, ADP in all formats will be interesting to track. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking, I, I was looking at your first two rounds from our earlier thing. You did not have Williams in there. And so I missed that when I was saying those names, but I noticed I had him at 16. So obviously I was right. You were wrong. No, it's funny because you had, but yeah, no, obviously Williams, I think is, is the other name that I didn't say when I was going through these earlier ones, you had both chasing pits very high. Uh, I had chased at the very end of my second round and I had pits outside of my two rounds as like a, honorable mention and that when, when i was saying that, that i was right you were wrong it's actually the point i was going to make is you nailed this you had chase and pitts already making this monster jump and even me trying to to be excited about them i couldn't get there and i think that's you know just one more piece of evidence once we go into next year and we always talk about valuing those rookies and valuing those second year players and the leaps that they can make I mean, even you, it seemed crazy, but you had Chase in the top half of the second round. You had Pitts right there firmly in the second round. And even you have wound up lower than where we are seven weeks into the season. We're both saying they're top eight picks, top seven picks, whatever we had, top six picks, right? And so, I mean, that's the that's the league-winning ceiling that we're looking for. That's the explosive upside that we're, that we're looking for. The misses that we have here are sort of the boring veterans, you know? We, we talked ourselves, I mean, they're, they're young guys, but we talked ourselves a little bit into um, Gibson and CEH, and, and they weren't as good. ETN got hurt. We did this before ETN was injured, I believe. Um, but like Ridley and Waller and Kittle, we both have in these ranges, and now we're kind of like, well, they're not as exciting going forward. The, the young guys we have here kind of throughout, all look great. I mean, you had Jefferson as high as six. You still have him at like eight, even though he hasn't necessarily like lit the world on fire to start or, you know, wherever you had him slot in now. Just looking at where we were then and where we are now, the, the best picks are you having Chase where you had him and you having Pitts where you had him and you having Jefferson really aggressively and you having Swift at four. And that was the one of the big things we teased from the start of the show that time when we went through this was you had a guy at four that was pretty surprising. We both just put him in our top four again now in, in this show, seven weeks in. I had him in the second round, and I was—I I think when we did that show, I, was, I, I, I pretty much admitted I was just tailing you on that. Uh, I had him at 13 at, at 201. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, looking at these, as exuberant as we are about the young players, those are the ones that were right. <laughs> those are the ones that looked the best. The ones we were wrong about were, were veterans that we were more aggressive on. And it's not that we're going to always be right or that injuries can't cause problems. But when we talk about how we want to construct our redraft teams, even beyond the first round, it's this idea of we want to be able to have a team that has a lot of potential, not just a, a couple of scattered guys, but a lot of potential to have the whole team moving up in terms of where they are next season. And even though it's a slightly different scenario, Debo Samuel, who is a big part of what we've been able to accomplish so far, that same type of thing where you have a guy who is still young-ish. I mean, Debo comes in to the NFL pretty old, a little bit like a Harris does. 
but you have that ability to really take a big jump. And you're just, you're not going to always be right, but you need to have the profiles where that kind of development can happen as opposed to an Allen Robinson where you can hit. I mean, it's not like being out on Robinson meant that you were right, but the trajectory in terms of the likelihood of where people are going to be is moving down, right? And so we want to structure things that we can take advantage of these jumps, have the super teams overcome injuries. And again, I, I look at it as humility-based drafting, whereas instead of saying, I think that this is going to happen for this guy, this is going to happen for this guy, this is going to happen for this guy, I'm saying big picture, these types of players are going to outperform as a group and you know the group is made up of individuals and so these guys are going to rise absolutely yeah i mean this this is fun this was a lot of fun um you got me even more excited about chasing pits which is already so excited the the big thing that i thought would have been fun to dive into and talk about was just how much safety i guess in dynasty they already have basically across formats they've already basically locked up just massive rookie seasons I did not think that we would be putting them as high as we did. And and you kind of got me excited. I, I was, you know, speculating that I'd probably have Pitts tight end two. As we talk through that, I, I mean, he's going to be the number one tight end going into 2022 in redraft. So anyone who is still kind of questioning that, get used to it. Even if he isn't amazing the rest of this year, the rest of the tight end, the older guys are, are, are down a little this year. There are question marks, age question marks. Pitts is the one that is going to be ascending, still only 21 years old, going to have just broken the all-time rookie tight end record. I mean, there's Matt Ryan uncertainty. There's all sorts of other uncertainty. I still think very clearly that Pitts is going to come in next year and and, and he's just going to look like I, I think I was even too low on him. And then, and as I've thought, the other thing that I that I would redo as I'm thinking back is I put Hill ahead of Chase. And I'm, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, look. You know, Hill's been better than Chase in fantasy points, and Hill's felt like he's disappointed. He's had some big, bad game, you know, down games, and he's been slightly scored slightly more points than Chase. Chase obviously has felt like he's blown the absolute roof off of everything. At the same time, going into next year, I mean, especially with the way teams are playing the Chiefs, some of the things that are happening, there might be a, a few more questions about Hill. There's no questions about Jamar Chase. And, and anyway, these guys are. I'm excited for 2022. I'm excited, uh, you know, maybe the early off season to get good values on those guys. They're going to settle in, both of them. They're going to settle in, in in the first round very comfortable. I think so. I think so. It, it was fun because they're. it's uncomfortable for me to push Henry and Eckler outside of my first round. It's not meant to be anything derogatory about them. I, I think that that could easily be wrong, just like it was wrong this season. But in terms of building the team the right way and looking at – the trajectories of these players, then I think that's where I am. And I certainly like the top 14. And as you mentioned, some of those tight ends as well, that top 18 or so is going to be very fun. I'm sure we'll be able to build out the back half of the second round with some good guys as well. One of the things that we have seen this year is that despite all of the question marks, there were some very strong selections you could make in the one, two turn in the second half of the first round a little bit more balance between teams at the top and at the bottom, in part because of those injuries there. It's really in the middle again that because of running back health that we're seeing teams explode from. But it's good to see that balance throughout the first couple of rounds there in terms of making these drafts fun and and creating the fairness that we'd like to see in fantasy. So Ben, we'll have to leave it there today. I know our listeners are eager to get outside 
and have their Fridays, whether or not that is a walk to get some nature, whether or not that's a rigorous match of tennis, whether you're out there uh, playing your own football game or getting in some ultimate Frisbee, get outside and enjoy the wonderful weather we're having so many places. Uh, it's nice here in Arizona. What's the weather like there, Ben? Oh, it's terrible. It's pouring rain. It, we're still, we still have the atmospheric river or whatever the crap. I mean, it's, it's getting better, but everyone who watched Sunday night football, Monday night football up in the Northwest, it's been, it's been a fun week. Okay. So you can't go outside if your neighbors with Ben, but anywhere else, uh, make sure you get that walk in and we'll see you soon. If you get a chance, uh, if, if you have any interest in Rotoviz OT, we are doing the kind of special episodes on Sunday morning. If you're bored Sunday morning as you, you're getting your teams together, you can learn a little bit about our producer for this show, someone we are so thankful and, and grateful for, all the great work that he does, Colin Kelly. Deeply in debt to. Deeply in debt to. <laughs> yes, yes. Colin is the one who makes the show work, and you can find out a little bit. that From the first show, the, the thing people were excited about were columns chickens and so we'll have some more cool stuff in parts two and three there uh, make sure you subscribe to stealing bananas if you can leave us a rating and review make sure you subscribe to stealing signals if you want a 10 percent discount to rotoviz use the coupon code rv radio 2021 at checkout and good luck in week eight This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.